Shabbos Pash Vayetze. Shabbos Minim is Barchere Kuli Yemen. All days are benched from Shabbos. It's the Shabbos, meaning the Shabbos prior and post. <clears throat> the Shabbos prior and post the uh, week, week prior and post to the Shabbos. <clears throat> Childhood expression we heard when we were little kids that we know that Yaakov walked around with a streimel. Because it says, How is it possible he left Be'er and he went into Charona without streimel? Yes, uh, in today's day and age, you're not going to get much of a chuckle from that. An odd thing takes place in this Pasha. Many different things that happen in the Pasha. Amongst them, generally we know that Jews are very, very business savvy. They like to be on top of the game when it comes to money. They tell a story of Mr. Goldberg, nice prominent Jew, nice prominent Jewish name, came to the bank and said, I'd like to borrow $5,000 for two weeks. What will be the interest rate on that? How much that cost me? Banker made the cheshman, about $22 interest for two weeks. That'll be fine. You don't have to run any credit check. I'm going to leave you a collateral. What collateral are you going to leave me? My Rolls Royce. I said, what? Yeah, my Rolls Royce takes out the registration, the papers, insurance. And he shows him outside at the Rolls Royce. I'll leave you my Rolls Royce for two weeks. I'll come back and I'll pay back the money. If I don't pay it back, you keep my car. Rolls Royce is worth more than $5,000. The banker asked the supervisor... And they all agreed that Rolls-Royce is definitely worth more than $5,000. And if he's actually leaving that as a collateral, then, yeah, I guess that'll work. They did need his information, though. said, please, sir, please don't. You have to leave us your information. And he left his information. He left his uh, address, his name, social security number. Business, business contact, whatever they needed. He leaves on the trip. He comes back two weeks later. 
immediately goes straight to the bank, counts out the $5,000, counts out the $5,000, pays his $22 interest, and uh, Shalom, he's ready, good to go. There's a problem with your line. What's wrong with your line up for a change? You're not there. You're online, as far as the thing's concerned. Oh, now you're there. Okay. Pays back is $5,000, and it's $22 interest. They give him the keys to his car. They tell him it's in the garage of the bank. He goes downstairs to pick his car out. He comes to the front of the street. The uh, banker is waiting for him. Oh my gosh. And he says, oh, excuse me, excuse me, Mr. Goldberg. I'd like to ask you a question. We ran your credit. And uh, we find... That um, yeah, wealthy man. Very wealthy man. You're a multimillionaire. You own square blocks in Manhattan, square blocks in Brooklyn, square blocks in Queens. Why would you need a $5,000 loan from the bank? Ha! <laughs> Mr. Goldberg smiles and says, I didn't need $5,000. So why did you take it and why did you want to pay $22 for interest? He says, ha, very simple. $5,000. I gave you right back the same $5,000 you gave me. And um, $22? Where can I park in Manhattan for $22 a car for two weeks? So for $22, I parked my Cadillac in your garage for two weeks. I'm a chaya. So we see the Jews are very, very business savvy in this way. And Where else can you park a car in Manhattan for $22 for two weeks? So what do you do? You go and you look at your tater. And the tater tells us that Yaakov Avinu goes to work to marry his wife. He works for seven years. And what happens? He gets fooled. He gets fooled so that he has to work another seven years. And then years thereafter. doesn't fit the protocol doesn't fit the persona of a Jew to let himself get so fooled in business
question is, what is actually the work that Yaakov had to do? What actually transpired over these years? What did he look to accomplish? The expression Yaakov uses is ki bekol chechi evadati esavichem. With all my strength, I served your father. Mm-hmm. Rambam writes, "It is a way to warn a master, an owner, that he may not steal the schar ani, the wages." And he may not withhold it. And of course, vice versa, the Ani, the poor person, must know that from here we also learn, says the Rambam, you may not steal from your master. And to try to slack off a little here, a little there. The person must work, just like the Balabas must pay fully. The person must give him the whole 100%. Because Yaakov and Tzadik said, Ki In all my might, I worked. So therefore, the Raman we find from here that a chayiv person has the chayiv to work with all his might. We learn this from the way Yaakov served in the Vail of Marami. Chassidus explains actual of this labor. The Chazal tell us, The Almighty is a one, is a one that is known, a master that known that he will pay you for all that you have done. A Jewish nation. Each and every Jew is a worker that is obligated to do the work of his master, the Abishta, God Almighty. Is it then possible? Would it then occur to the person that the service of his Balabos, the service to Hashem Yisbarach Shemayim, is only when you work In spiritual realm, only when one works in davening, in learning, mitzvahs, they say no. Even when the person is working in the mundane, worldly, daily, day-to-day grind, he's still serving the Almighty God. <clears throat> to such an extent, to such a level that a person has to have in mind that each and everything that I do, I am doing it in order to serve God better. This is therefore the lesson that we are taught from the work that Yaakov did by Lovan. He was not sitting in the Mismedish. He was not sitting in the yeshiva learning. He was out on the field toiling and working hard sweating bullets 
He was in Choron. The Charein Afshel Mokoim. And even in such a place, Yaakov elevated everything. And he caused it to be Mokhe in the Shifta Yisbarech. Same way also we find the Avedis B'nai Yisrael. When a Jew involves himself in Elam Haza, in this world, worldly things, worldly matters, in the worldly matters that there is nothing lower than this ever anywhere, and he elevates it, that it should be a place where the spirituality and the light of the Almighty shine, this is called Melachti. This is called his service. The service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this is the Ratzai, this is the will of the Almighty to reveal himself also in this world. And that's therefore what the Chazal tell us Nis'ave HaKadosh Baruch Hu liyaz leidira betachtenim God had a want, a yearning to have a dwelling place here on the world below. We find a very strange phenomenon. We find in this week's parsha, the beginning of the parsha, Yaakov lies down to rest. And he places stones around his head And he goes to sleep at night. And he sees a ladder. And angels rising up the ladder. Angels going down the ladder. And then he hears the heavenly voice. He has a heavenly revelation. And God tells him. I have folded the entire land of Eretz Yisrael beneath you. The entire land is beneath you. And by it being beneath you, By being beneath you, you are now taking rightful ownership of the entire land. Okay. Several questions rise up. And the main question is, if the Avishta took the entire land, the entire Eretz Yisrael, in order for Yaakov to be kainet, in order for him to take right, rightful ownership, and he folded the entire land under Yaakov Avinu, where the inhabitants go? And actually somebody once wrote a letter to the Rebbe, 
And they asked, what happened to Yitzchak? Yitzchak never left the land. If he never left that cell, where was he when this happened? Uh, if you're on Skype, could you please answer me? I typed you a question. No, you can't, because you're not in the... Uh, uh-huh. Okay. And the Rebbe writes to the person, in response to your question, then you're asking where was Yitzchak at the time to which the Rebbe answers I guess the simplest form it's a simple answer the Pasuk says prior to this he had a dream it was all a dream. So therefore, it's also possible that in the dream, God folded everything underneath him. Very, very interesting, intriguing way of looking at it. It was all a dream. We had that question once as a child. I remember some kind of riddle. I don't remember to what effect it went. Um, if you were, went to sleep at night and you had a dream and this happened and this happened and this was happening and this was happening and it got to a very, very scary, scary part he asked the child, and what would you do? And the child said, I don't know. And the child's really so scared from what's going to happen to him. And the person said, I tell you what I would do. Is what would you do is I'd wake up from my dream. It was all a dream. It was a chaser of the Bashemtiv. The Bashemtiv sent on a journey. India somewhere, somewhere exotic. And Bashem said, you'll know what to do there already. And the Chassid ran and he comes to the ship and boards the ship to go to his destination. Mission unknown, destination prayer barely known. And they set sail. This is not exactly a cruise. They didn't have any chazanam on the cruise. They didn't have gourmet meals. And if you can imagine or not, they didn't even have a tennis court. And the fellow set sail. The days and the nights, the day and the night, the day and the night. And the person saw it became day, and the certain saw it became night. And that's the extent of what you knew what was going on in the world. You almost lost track of the days of the week. The way the days and the nights came and went. If 
Finally, one night, he's sleeping. And he feels a jolt. Everything is just shaking from all sides. Smodna. Literally threw him out of his bed. Picks himself up, brushes himself off. He's going to go see what happened. Before he can go see what happened, he's greeted by his door. The The gush of water, waves come flowing into the room. And he realizes the ship is capsized. Before he could grab any possessions or anything, any valuable, this chassid finds himself in the waters. Tossing and turning in his boxes and debris from all sides, and the man literally has no idea what's going on, what's going to happen next. Miraculously, a lifeboat survived the ship and the lifeboat is floating past him and seemingly the only survivor he immediately stops and grabs onto the lifeboat mount, manages to mount the boat and miraculously is floating in the middle of the ocean by himself destination unknown he finds in the corner of the lifeboat some rags, whatever it might be. He covers himself for protection, the elements, and immediately curled up in the corner falls asleep. Obviously, it was in the next morning or the morning after or another day after that, finally, our chassid wakes up it's so a very strange feeling. The lifeboat is not floating. It's not floating. He comes out from under the rags and notices the beautiful sun shining and he's on a beach. He's on the beach of an island. How he got here, when he got here, what day it is, he has no idea. But he knows he's alive. And he gets out of his little ship, not knowing what's going to happen next, not knowing where he is, what kind of island this is, if it's inhabited at all. And with great trepidation, he begins to walk extremely, extremely thirsty and hungry. Didn't walk far, and he hears the bubbling of a brook. Goes over to investigate, and lo and behold, a stream of beautiful cold water. He takes his fill of water, he drinks, rehydrates himself, and walks a little further down, and he notices a paved road. A paved road on an island. 
what a phenomenon, but it definitely means only one thing, that there's actually civilization on this island. And he walks down the paved road, and he comes to a village. And the first house in the village, much to his surprise, has a mezuzah. And he goes over, and he knocks on the door, by yellow, they know there's nobody answering. But the door is open. He leans in, he calls out, nobody answers. He goes and he walks a little further to the next house, again the mezuzah. And again the same phenomenon. Open door. Seems that nobody's here. Houses, beautiful houses, mezuzahs. All the houses are open, nobody around. He goes a little further and he finds his store. Food. But who do you pay? And how do you pay? He is, he's shipwrecked. <clears throat> he goes and he takes whatever he can and he writes down to the storekeeper, I was here, I took such and such product, and in Yat Hashem, as soon as I have my money, I will pay you back. Meantime, he sets himself around the island and finds nobody around, no inhabitants. He takes his food, he goes into one of the houses, and not to uh, become a uh, story of Goldilocks over here and the, the three bears, marks down to the uh, owners of the house I'm sleeping in your front room hope you don't mind he falls asleep and the next morning he wakes up bright and early and looks out the window and he sees the most amazing sight he's ever seen the entire village has come to life but not just come to life they're there hustle and bustle and people running and going and shopping and screaming and yelling and it's a marketplace. And he comes running outside and he tries to find out what is going on here. Where did you all come from? Where were you till now? Nobody has time to even turn around to talk to him. They're rushing and they're hurrying and going. They're going shopping. Finally someone tells him, Shabbos, it's almost Shabbos, almost Shabbos, can't talk. And he's standing there in the middle of the street, mesmerized by what's going on here, where this whole city just materialized from. And the way the people are so involved in their shopping. All of a sudden, a Yid walks over to him and says to him, Rabbi Yid, what are you standing here like this? It's almost Shabbos. Come to the bathhouse. And he gives him clothes for Shabbos. And he gives him the Shabbos clothes and he says, Come. Come to the bathhouse. The mikveh. Out of Shabbos. 
Kosser asks no questions. He obviously hasn't gotten any chance to ask any questions. He tries to ask a question, but the man says, we can't talk now. It's almost Shabbos. And they rush off to the mikveh. And they get to the mikveh. They take care of everything. They shower. And they go to the mikveh. And they prepare for Shabbos. And before he could ask any other questions, the guy says to him, come, we have to go quickly to shul. And the man leads him into shul. The shul is getting fuller and fuller and fuller. People coming from all over. Suddenly a hush over the crowd. This holy, holy man walks in. You could tell this is the holy man. He must be the rabbi. Everybody stands up. Chazan comes up and begins the Mairev. The songs, the Kabbalah Shabbos, was, was straight out of Gan Eden. Just an amazing, amazing sound. Something the Chassid has never heard. Maybe I am in Gan Eden. Maybe I did die. After Davani finishes, this man that had invited him to the mikveh turns to him who is sitting next to him and says to him, Kum, you'll be my guest. You lead by me. Much of a choice he had. He figures, okay, we'll sit down to the meal. There's no more shopping. There's no more running around. And I can get a word in edgewise of it to find out what's going on in this island. Yesterday's day. As they walk out of shul, the man starts to talk to him about the parsha, and starts telling him stories in Midrashim and my Chazal, and it's just amazing. The insights this man is giving him from from the parsha is things he's never heard in his life. So special, so holy. What to do? He's not going to interrupt. He couldn't interrupt if he wanted. And they come to the man's house and they start to serve the meal. It's been a while since he had a real home-cooked meal. And he sat down and this sumptuous meal is served. And as he's eating, somebody else is saying a Devar So once again, there's no opportunity to ask a question to find out what is going on in this island. The meal is finished. Birches Hamazin, they bench, race after meals. And the Tardema, the great, great weariness of the travel, of the meal, of the Shabbos Kedish, of the Holy Shabbos, comes upon the man. Before he could say anything, he was fast asleep. And once again, did not have a moment to ask a question. But before he could say anything, before he could even have a proper dream, the sun rays were shining through his room. And it was time to go out to Davin Shachris. And again, the Chassid asked no questions, because there was no time. He arrived in the big shul, and again the shul filled, 
And again the big rabbi came to the front and again the chazan, with his beautiful voice, led the service, led the davening. Again the same thing repeated itself as the davening finished, the kriya There was no talking, no time to talk during davening and laning. It was time to go home to eat. Maybe, perhaps, I'll get a word in now to say, to ask, to find out what is going on in this island. But no, my friends, opportunity did not present itself as such. And once again, the chassid is left flabbergasted, bewildered and befuddled as to what is the secret of what's going on around him. Again after the meal, with all the debriteta and the beautiful, beautiful food, once again, the chassid falls asleep. And again, only to wake up for mincha, shalashudas, for mayriv. At the end of mayriv, a very interesting phenomenon. The entire congregation lines up in the show. And the Rav, the head, the rabbi, goes to the front of the line and lifts up the holy cup of wine to recite the holy Avdallah. And as he recites the Avdallah, you know, there's a beautiful custom that after Avdallah, the candle is extinguished with some wine. And this is in the holy plate of the Havdalah plate. And in the Havdalah plate, as it lies there, the tradition is we dip our fingers and we wipe a drop of wine on our eyebrows. Some put on their eyes so they should hear good things on their eyes they should see good things, on their ears they should see good things, and some go as far as putting it in their pocket, so that too should be blessed for the week. After the Avdallah is made, the strangest of things, after what he's seen on Friday with the shopping and the people appearing suddenly, and the way the shul fills up, and the meals and the beautiful divrei and the inspirational song and and prayer that took place in the synagogue, after everything, and when he felt he's seen it all, and felt that now that Abdullah will be made, it will become quiet, it will become serene again, and he'll have a moment to ask the question. Much to his chagrin, the lined up congregants were lining up to hear the Havdalah and immediately after Havdalah one after the other they step forward and they dip their fingers into the wine and wipe their eyebrows and as soon as they wiped their eyebrows they disappeared you can well imagine my friends the shock on the Chassid's face the shock the Chassid had now to seen these people just disappearing in front of him one after the other 
And as they disappeared one after the other, the chassid got closer and closer to the front of the line. And as he reaches to the front of the line itself, it's him, face to face, with the one and only member still left here, the rabbi. And he says, now who else could he ask questions except for the rabbi? And he's about to ask the rabbi a question of what's going on here. And the rabbi takes his fingers, dips it into the wine, and wipes his eyebrows. And like the rest of them, he disappears. Now our chassid is once again alone. But not only alone, the only thing that's really with him now are the nagging questions as to what is going on. What just happened? And more so, how do I get out of here? Well, my friends, the chassid spent another week on the island. On his free room and board, writing down in the grocery, whatever he took, and having any house house of his choice to sleep in, as nobody else was there. <laughs> until, that's right, until the next Friday. And again, as Friday came around, the city fills, and the hustle and the bustle begin again. And the people are running and going and preparing for Shabbos. He won't dare to ask what is going on. As he knew, he knew the preparations were so serious, were so something that they would not want to forego whatsoever. And once again, Shabbos comes in and he finds himself in the shul with all the beautiful, beautiful people. And the Holy Rabbi enters and again the enchanting voice of the Chazan begins to leave the service. Again the inspirational tefillah of the Chazan rising straight up from heaven. Chassid enjoying again the blissful Shabbos the Friday night and its meal. The Shabbos day the prayers and the meals, and all the divrei Torah, the insights of Torah, the deep, deep insights, explaining the depth of Torah in such a clear, clear fashion. But as Shabbos comes to an end, and again the line forms, and again the people after Abdullah are disappearing one by one, but this time, the chassid knew what he had to do. And lo and behold, as he stood face to face with the rabbi, and the rabbi dipped, reached his hand to put into the wine, the chassid grabbed the arms of the rabbi and said, Oh no, you don't. You're not leaving here without telling me what's going on. And the rabbi agreed, he acquiesced and said, I will tell you, just leave go of my arms. I promise you I will not do anything without telling you the story. And the story went as follows. All these people that you have seen over this past two Shabbosim, 
are not amongst the living in the world. However, the city that you are in was in essence a real city. A real city to an extent that the reason that it came about was because the people in the time of the Besamikdash could not see. There were certain people that just could not see what was going on. They cannot bear to see the destruction. They cannot bear to see how horrifically the Jews were behaving. And therefore, and therefore, an entire community left Yerushalayim and came to live on this island. After a while, smoke was seen coming from Yerushalayim. A messenger was dispatched and half dead the messenger returned a while later to tell of the terrible destruction of the Holy Besamikdash. Needless to say, these righteous people who could not bear to see the sins that were going on in the Holy Temple were so distraught so affected, so hurt by the news of the destruction of the temple, they mourned so hard that within the year they passed away. These Nishamas obviously went straight to Ganeden. In Ganeden, though, they were given a very interesting choice. They could either stay in Ganeden throughout the week, seven days a week, or they could stay six days a week in Ganeden and have one day a week back on earth to celebrate the Holy Shabbos. And this is the choice that this entire city has taken. They accepted to be six days a week in Ganeden so that they could have that one day of Shabbos Kodesh. So my friend, since you are aware of this now, you too are being given the choice, the opportunity. You can join us and come six days a week to be in Ganeden and the seventh down here on the world with the Holy Shabbos. Or you can return to any place you want. Just tell me where you want to go. You don't even have to tell me. I will give you a paper, a parchment. On the parchment, 
is the name of the Almighty God, the Holy Name. You memorize the name, and you close your eyes, and you picture yourself wherever you want to be. Do not open your eyes, my friend, until you have arrived at your destination, until you feel your feet have touched ground. Chassid had no question in his mind. Mezhabuz is where he wants to be. And so, he took the holy parchment and he memorized it and he, the rabbi told him one more stipulation. That when you get to your destination, you're immediately to take this parchment and throw it up into the sky and a hand from heaven will take it back. Chassid asked no questions, took the parchment, memorized the holy name, closed his eyes and imagined himself in Mezhabush. And as he started to recite the holy name that he had memorized, he felt everything go dark. Everything went dark, the wind started to blow, and he felt himself lifted up by the winds. And as he rose up off the feet, feet rising up off the ground, he felt himself being propelled through the air. And he rose up higher and higher and he floated higher and higher. And did not open his eyes as he was warned. And lo and behold, when he felt his feet hit the ground, he was in Mezhabush. And he opened his eyes and here he was in Mezhabush. And he remembered there's one more part. One more stipulation that he was told by the Holy Rabbi. And he took the paper, the parchment, and he pulled back his arm to throw, throw the parchment to heaven. And somebody grabbed his hand and held him. And he turned around and it was the Holy Baal Shem Tov himself. And the Baal Shem Tov said, Give me that. That's why I sent you on a journey. I needed this parchment. I needed it to save the Jews. And as with this parchment, that the Baal Shem Tov had done many, many things thereafter. And so we see, my friends, that sometimes things have to be done like the folding of the land and we don't understand exactly what the purpose behind everything is. Yaakov Avinu is brought down by the Chidor in the Chidor on his exploration to Tehillim, 
There are 15 Shir Hamalis that David HaMelech said. Why are there 15? Ask any other child that learns Hilchas Beis HaBechira, that learns the laws of the Holy Beis HaMikdash, and he will tell you. Because there are 15 steps in the Beis HaMikdash that go up from the Chatzar. And there they say the 15 Shir Hamalis. But in essence, the 15 Shir Hamalis is connected the 15 years that our forefathers, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov lived together. you mind? Excuse me. According to this, we can say that Yaakov said the 15 Shehamalis of Sefer Tehillim in order to always awaken the the merit of our forefathers. Which means that in addition to the merits and the strength, the kirchis that he had, and he had awakened, and this protected upon him all the merits of Ram and Yitzchak as well. And because of that, he was able to overcome all the obstacles that took place in the house of Lavan. As it says, Lule Avi Avram And therefore, in that merit, he was able to bystand whatever was thrown at him in Lavan's house. And as you know, my is similar The work of our forefathers is a sign for us. That Tzavach said that he heard from the Al-Tarebbe, his grandfather, before the Al-Tarebbe passed away, that he heard from Avram the Malach, the son of the Magid, in, a, in the form of learning Avedis Hashem, that we learn from here the way a person has to establish himself for war. And this goes back to the story of the war that took place in the seven-year battle between Friedrich king of Frasian and the other kings the way the battle took place etc etc but basically I'd like to really discuss the Shiramalas and themselves a Mikriyetzim the Pshutid Rabbi says the test the 15 Shiramalas there until in Shir they are song and when you say song song immediately refers to happiness to joy but open to happiness and happiness ain't in shira la we say shira is only set on wine and although the teichin the integral part is ezri meyem Hashem which means that the ezer the help is given the strength in order to conquer the difficulties of Golas. 
This is done through Shira Vizimra, through song and happiness. Shira Vizimra. So the question is, how can someone be happy in the house of Allah? In Kharan, the Kharan is But when Yaakov went down to the house of Lavan, his main kavana, the depth of his kavana, the depth of his attention, was this Yerida Seyda Chaliyah. The going down here was in order to be able to rise up even higher. Because at the end, Dafka through this Yerida in Golas, he was able to bring up higher and higher to Vayifre Tzaish, Ma'id Ma'id, referring to Peretz, the forefather of Mashiach. And Yaakov Avinu was a Chacham, and he's a Chacham, Hareyas Hanelid. Who is the wise man, one who sees the outcome? And he had full intention as he came down here that this Aliyah, that would be brought from this, and therefore he was not in pain at all on being in the Golas, but on the opposite. He was able to sing Shir Hamalis. And this lesson is to us perpetual. Generation after generation we have to know how to behave in this difficult, difficult Golas. In this last and final Golas, the generation of Ikvasid the Mashiach, the footsteps of Mashiach are heard. When we look into and we think well, the depth, the depth of the darkness in which we are in, which is referred to as Cheshach Kafal Machupal, of the Deir of Ikhus of the Mashiach. Even according to the Torah, there's a place to ask me Ayin Yavai Ezri, as it says, Davar Melech says in Shiram Alas. A person can fall into depression and into forlorn forsakenness. And this is therefore what the Maya that says in the in, further in the same Pasuk that since the Yedidah of the Jew, since the Jew coming down to Golis, of Yaakov going out from Be'er going into Haran, is in order to perform the Aliyah, in order that it should be Yisr and Aum and Achishach, the light will supersede the darkness. The Yisr and the Chachmah and Asichlus, and the Chachmah will be even more than the foolishness. We have to look, therefore, in a way of Esa Enai, of raising up our eyes, and to see that the Tachlis of the reason for Golos is the Aliyah should be in the Gula Asida, that the Aliyah we should have in the ultimate redemption. And then, not only we don't have to be affected by this terrible darkness of Golos, but just the opposite. We have to stand in an open stance of happiness. Shir Hamalis. And through this, says the Rebbe, we can, can, we can, for, we can cause that will be the Ezer, the help of Ezri Meyem Hashem. And the Eivishter will help the Ezer Nimshach. And will pale also in the Gili, will bring down and continue in the open way, in this physical world, in the Shemayim and the Aretz Kipshutam, and as the Pasuk finishes off, Ezim Hashem Eisei Shemayim the Aretz.
Good night to all.